This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. Hi, I'm Melinda, and you're listening to Think Retail. Today, we're back with Kunal Chopra for part two of our discussion about artificial intelligence. In part one, we listened to Kunal define artificial intelligence, so hopefully now we have a clearer idea of the line between fact and fiction. And today, we're going to be talking about the application of artificial intelligence to the world of retail. Kunal's going to tell us what's possible now, who's doing a great job using artificial intelligence, and what to look out for. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us again. Last time we we left off with you describing what the biggest benefit of AI for retailers is right now. Can you just recap on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It was really around the benefit of client segmentation and a much more deeper or a much deeper or more intimate understanding of individual client preferences and buying patterns. Uh, and then being able to, you know, deliver individual products, uh, more customization uh, at a client level. Right. Um, and how how would that work? So if we're, if I'm thinking, I understand theoretically how it works. If you have this information, then uh, you can then you can have uh, customization. But how do you get the information in the first place? I mean, data is gold at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're not making use of your data, you're not collecting it from multiple sources, uh, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice, whether it's a you know, point of sale, whether it's your receipts uh, from actual interactions, whether it's looking at um, you know patterns in viewing behavior uh, for clients who are logged into your website. There's a number of ways you can get data. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to be careful with that. There's a lot of data, data privacy issues that are at the forefront of a lot of this right now and will continue to be. Right. Uh, we're seeing laws passed uh, such as GDPR in Europe uh, that will find themselves uh, or find their ways to North America as well. We're a little behind in some of that at the moment. Um, but you know, getting data is part of the problem and then being able to make sense of it is another part of the problem. Right. I think the biggest challenge though is great, once you've collected data in a transparent and ethical way and you've done the analysis how do you actually deliver a customized um, product or solution to your clients? Uh, customization is not often easy, uh, especially in a mass retail environment. Right. So it's going to be how do you figure that out? Yes, absolutely. Um, and what would be some other applications for artificial intelligence that retailers would be smart to think about right now? You know, if we look at how it's typically being used right now, there's a lot of back-end supply chain uh, inventory management uses of AI that are are at the forefront of of how retail is using it. It's hard to sit here and say, you know, here's something you should do. What I would encourage retailers to start doing is thinking about how AI fits into your broader strategy. It's a tool um, like any other. automation or you know non-automation related tool there are benefits there's a pros and cons so really start to think about who you are in the market what is the service experience that you want to deliver whether it's a, a bricks and mortar experience whether it's an online experience and then work to figure out how ai fits into that and enables that okay so you mentioned supply chain um if you're working with a brand and talking about things like just-in-time inventory a lot of these technologies come with a really big upfront investment. So how do you approach that? Like where would you, if you, if you were a brand owner, 
where would you start? Yeah, so that's a, a great question and one that uh, Manish and I get all the time. Um, our guidance is don't start with the multi-million dollar investment. Right. You're doing yourself a disservice. AI is different um, in, in terms of, I think, what we've traditionally seen in terms of technology and automation. Um, start small, right? Our guidance is start with something that you can put a box around, test and explore with a small sample uh, internally within your organization first. Uh, and your employees and then you know with a, a group of clients that's outward facing as well and really understand what it is and how it fits into your organization how it fits into your processes how it affects you culturally as well um, there are cultural implications of automation on your staff there are perceptions that your clients will have about you know what you're doing with their data you need to really assess this before you go down the multi-million dollar path mm -hmm. start small Keep it boxed uh, to something which has value in terms of the insight you can derive or the service experience that you can measure, but isn't mission critical to your organization and your financial success. And then quickly learn from it and understand, great, does it make sense for us and our clients and our employees? And if so, then start to think about the, the bigger and longer term investment. You mentioned a couple times you've talked about data privacy. And yes, GDPR is something that we can probably look at in North America. We can look at that and say, yes, we're probably going to be dealing with that here as well. How would we, if, how would we plan for that here? If we know that it's coming, we don't know when, but we can anticipate something down the, down the pipeline. If I'm a, a retailer and I'm thinking about uh, collecting data, how can I sort of future-proof and make sure that if I am investing in this, even this small boxed testing of mm -hmm. an artificial intelligence program, how can I get ahead of that to be sure that my data is not, that I'm not going to have to switch gears suddenly down the road? I think there's a couple of ways. Um, one is look at some of the more stringent regulation that does exist in the world today and try to adhere to that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other one, which I think is just absolute common sense, is be fully transparent with your clients around how their data is being collected uh, and how it's being used um, in terms of the types of analysis, who it's being shared with, whether there's third parties involved or whatnot, and get their consent. Yeah. Right. And that's just full transparency will always keep you out of trouble. Right. Yeah. And we've seen there's been a few people who've gotten into trouble not sure. being fully transparent. Sure. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are some of the big barriers that brands face when they're when they're starting to think about AI and they're and they're maybe trying out this little testing environment and wanting to implement something, what are some of the, the barriers that they're finding? I think there's a few. One is really the operational perspective, and you touched on this with the multi-million dollar investment, but it's, it's really around uh, the investment that's involved. Um, you know, having touched on that, start small, keep it basic, and then understand whether it makes sense. Um, is that because there's a value perception that sure. we're, we're not seeing what is the return on this? Sure. Is that where that's from? Yeah, yeah it's partly that and partly from an under, a lack of understanding right. around on what it is, how do we derive value, and can we? does it make sense for us as an organization to go down this path? Mm -hmm. You also mentioned it's going to change your internal company culture. Can you describe that a little more? Sure. I, I mean, there's going to be resistance. Uh, there are jobs which are going to be affected uh, in terms of, you know, you may lose some analyst jobs uh, to programming jobs. There, there's a cultural aspect of this which has to be considered. Um, AI and the systems involved in the analysis that it produces is not 100% accurate. 
right? So if you were relying on systems that were more accurate than a typical AI system, and not to say that they're, they're not, they're entirely inaccurate, but how are you accounting for those inaccuracies in your processes, in your employees and their knowledge? How are you making sure that those aren't detrimental to your long-term business model? Mm -hmm. So there's some things that need to be considered as people test and learn from this as well in highly regulated industries like banking, for example, uh, having inaccuracies um, in things like credit models can be detrimental. Right. And then how do you prove to your regulator that you've accounted for them with process controls and, and whatnot uh, to make sure that you know you can mitigate any of the um, the issues that come out of those inaccuracies. So there's a lot of learning that needs to happen with this. Okay. And are there any other, so aside from sort of not understanding AI and not understanding maybe the value that it might bring to an organization, are there any other maybe more logistical barriers? Uh, yeah. So getting data, uh, we touched on this. Getting data, it's not only the collection, but making sure that the data is usable. Right. Right. It, it, we Organizations have mounds and mounds of data, but to have Systems which deliver the right data in the right format, you know, in a clean, structured way that an AI system can can readily make use of it, mm -hmm. is not an easy thing to do. Why is it so difficult? I, I don't think organizations have been built um, historically, and and you know, data systems built historically for this type of work. Mm -hmm. So whereas you know, organizations have gone and collected data for. 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, whatever years, you know, however many years they've been in business, it wasn't for the intent of in 2019 we're going to build an AI system and, we, and right. we need it structured this way. So it's almost like we're now reverse engineering and have to take all this historical data and cleanse it and structure it and find a way to deliver it to a system in a manner where that system can quickly analyze it and do something with it right. to produce intelligence. Mm -hmm. And then when we're bringing, so I know you and I have talked about this other times, is that if you're bringing, say, for example, in the banking industry where there's lots of different consolidation, mergers yeah. and acquisitions, when you're bringing different organizations together, can you talk a little bit about the challenges with data in, in that, situa in that yeah, situation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, banks are, are notorious for this. Um, multiple systems throughout processes and, and not just within, you know, across the organization, but within a process as well. You often have a sales system a credit system, a back office system, or multiple systems, um, you know, at each points in those process. Um, do those systems collect data in a similar way? Do they, uh, can they share data? Um, you know, it, it can be as simple as the wrong acronym or an inconsistent use of acronyms across systems, right? So as opposed to, uh, to spelling out rogue, you put RD, mm -hmm. right? Now you have an inconsistency in your data and how it's collected. Right, so it's it's even down to that level right. where you need to be very consistent and very clean, and there's a lot of effort involved. You know, other challenges with respect to and barriers with respect to the AI front, um, you know, aside from the data and aside from the investment, is the human interaction issue. Okay. Right, and this is one that organizations I think need to be very cognizant of. Do your clients really want to be entirely engaged by a machine? Mm-hmm. Right. Are they comfortable with that interaction um, beyond getting consent for how their data is used and the analysis that it's doing and you know the, the recommendations that come out of it? Um, I ran focus groups years ago for um, a large Canadian bank and we were interviewing their clients on their mortgage process. Mm -hmm. So we ran focus groups across you know, 
millennials, um, first-time homebuyers, um, new immigrants, whatever the uh, renewals, you know, people who are renewing their mortgage, and even the most technologically advanced millennial would tell us openly, I still want human interaction in my process. Mm -hmm. I want to know that there's somebody intelligent who knows what they're doing, who knows how to navigate this, who can guide me. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk with them at least once. After that, I may never talk to them again. Right. right? I, I want a fully digital experience. But what is that balance between technology and, and human that your clients want and that your business model needs for you to be successful? Finding that balance is not going to be easy. Right. And there's, are there any examples you can think of where people maybe have gone too far? I'm thinking myself, I'm thinking about the self-checkout kiosks, which are very, they're very controversial, it seems like. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, an example of, of broader automation that, um, you know, me personally, I won't use them. Um, a, I, I don't think it's as seamless as, as they should be, but B, um, you know, I, I actually look at the jobs lost. Right. I'm like, really? Like, you know, just you're replacing cashiers with this and I'm not getting that that human interaction. So recently it was McDonald's. Right. So if mm -hmm. you go into a McDonald's in the last couple of years in Canada, at least I've seen, um, you know, the, the self order kiosks right. that they have in each of these McDonald's. Now, I intentionally will avoid them. Yeah. And just go to to um, the, the order, the cashier or the order taker. Yeah. simply because I just think it's ridiculous. I also find I had an experience um, where I used a self-checkout kiosk and then as I left the store, one of my items had a security tag on it and it set off the alarm. And I then had to go back and get in the lineup to go through the the teller yeah. and have them remove it. And she says, oh yeah, the, the um, self-checkout kiosks don't remove the security tags. And I was like, well... Yeah. Why didn't I know about that before? Because I would have just gone in the line right from the start, and now I've doubled my time. Yep. So it, I agree, it's not as seamless as it's supposed to be. And the other thing that I that you mentioned is you said, you know, what is the human interaction balance that the clients are going to want? Mm -hmm. um, are you finding that sometimes the excitement about this kind of thing does the client focus or the customer focus get sometimes left behind, or people forget about it? I, I think there's cases where it does. Uh, again, this stuff is is so um, unique to each brand and and you know how they engage their clients. Can I see the risk of of that being left behind or getting lost for sure? Okay, so we talked about a bunch of barriers. How can they overcome some of these barriers? I don't know if you want to pick one or two that you think are most. Yeah, relevant. from the from the data side, uh, be transparent, right? And we talked about this earlier. Just. Be as transparent as you can with your clients around how their data is being collected and used um, and avoid any of the pitfalls we've you know, seen or heard of organizations in, in recent past uh, run into with that. Data issues can be entirely detrimental to your business, so be careful uh, and be transparent. The next I would say is really, you know, with respect to finding that balance between uh, automation and the human interaction, Engage your clients and engage your employees in the design process. As you re-envision your business, as you re-envision your, your client experience, there's no better way to understand you know, how far you should go uh, or need to go than by engaging your consumers and your employees in that process. I know it sounds like common sense, but we live in a world where you know, time is money and there's a lot of pressure on organizations to move forward at a very rapid pace. Mm -hmm. uh, and things like this often get lost. 
but right. you don't want to simply go to market well having done this and then find that you're losing business as opposed to gaining it yeah. because your clients are entirely alienated or disengaged from the experience that they're now involved in. Can you tell me if there are any brands out there that you can think of as examples that are using artificial intelligence well? Yeah, the, one of the interesting ones is Sephora, um, the cosmetics retailer. Mm -hmm. um, they're doing something, and they have been for the last few years now, where they have an application where a consumer can go onto their website or into their store, I believe, and, and you know take a picture or upload a picture of themselves. And what this thing does is then analyzes uh, their individual skin tone and, and recommends shades of, of their cosmetics uh, which would be appropriate for that skin tone mm -hmm. and it would honestly I believe it actually gives um, the consumer um, an image of them and how they would look having used this so this is an, a, a tremendous example of customization um, and a very unique individualized service experience mm -hmm. um, for something very sensitive to people in terms of how they look and, and you know how they present themselves, so I think that's a, a great example of it. Uh, obviously, we all know how you know how automated companies like Amazon are, and how that experience works, and, and you know how they're using data to to suggest what else you should be buying and looking at. And we look at how you know they run their warehouses, and there's YouTube videos all over this about robots running around these warehouses. <laughs> But, you know, the Amazon is Amazon, and, and that's an entirely um, online, automated sort of model. Mm -hmm. um, but there are companies who are using it at a consumer model, and Sephora definitely stands up. Yeah, Sephora, I was wondering if you might mention that brand, because they have a lot going for them. They have a, a, a reward system that's very, very much uh, used. I mean, lots of people have rewards programs, but theirs is very popular, and they also have... Uh, their um, subscription box was also really popular, so they're collecting a lot of information about you mm -hmm. and able to personalize stuff. So I, I think that that's on the top of everybody's list. Um, are there any trends or directions that you think won't last or that you don't see the application uh, that people imagine as, as they imagine it, you don't see it working the way they think it will? I still think it's too early to tell. Okay. Uh, I, 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 you know, for me personally, and others would likely have a view on what won't last. Uh, I need to see more use cases emerge. I need to see what what works and doesn't work with consumers. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I believe in part one, we're still in the experimental phase with a lot of this. Right. So I, I want to experiment and I want to see what comes out of those experiments before I pass judgment on what won't work. Right. Uh, so this is kind of a fun question. If there was one myth or dream or sort of fantasy about artificial intelligence that you wish would actually come true, what would that be? Well, I, I laugh as I say this, but uh, living in Toronto, I think we're all just appalled at the, the traffic and the commute <laughs> times in the city. Yeah. So I would love to see governments really take transit data and analyze it and use artificial intelligence to make life easier from a commute perspective for the citizens of the city. Yeah. If the whole city could all be on ways at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that would be a fantastic use of AI. <laughs> I think everybody probably and, agrees and, with you on that. And to be honest with you, after you know being raised entirely in Toronto, it's probably a fantasy at this point, given right. how the city works. So. Well, thank you so much, and I'm going to leave a link to your site, and if our listeners have any questions, any further questions about artificial intelligence, we will leave us a, a note and we'll get you in touch with Kunal.
Thank you very much. This was a pleasure. So just to summarize the key points Kunal is advising retail brands to think about when approaching artificial intelligence, one he emphasized quite a few times was transparency in collecting data. That means going above and beyond what's regulated in terms of privacy because depending on where you are there may be very little regulation. But even if you're within a jurisdiction that is regulated, consumers are very sensitive about this issue and are becoming more so. Thinking about how you would want your data treated and how it's communicated to you is becoming more important. And we've heard this from many of our guests, so I would say this is a critical issue brands need to approach very thoughtfully. The other key point Kunal reiterated was about taking a slow, strategic approach by creating test and learn environments, engaging your customers and employees in the process, and really figuring out what value AI can bring to your organization. If you do want to learn more about how AI could benefit your organization, we'll provide a link for you to get in touch with Kunal below. For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at sld.com. For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast. Next time, we speak with the retail prophet, Doug Stevens, about why the physical store must be re-engineered. We hope you'll join us.